Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 348. This week, I am joined by the legend Corey Taylor of Slipknot. As with last week, man, Action Bronson, it's someone I've not met before. You know, they're big characters. You don't know how well we're going to click, but we clicked instantly. It was really good to chat with with Corey. Um, again, we had some technical issues, but as you heard last week, it sounds dope anyway, because Buddy Peace is the best producer in the game. But we had to just go off the Zoom audio, and there were a few glitches and hiccups. But as said, I don't think you're even going to notice. If this is your first time tuning in, I'd recommend the Wes Borland episode from way back in the archives, the Chris Jericho episode, because we talk a bit of... Fozzie, a bit of rock, a bit of a bit of wrestling, obviously. Amanda Palmer, Frank Turner, Frank Carter. I've had loads of good Franks and loads of good people. So um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this. I'm so pleased when this one came up. Corey Taylor of Slipknot wasn't someone I expected to have on Distraction Pieces when I started it like six years ago. So I was dead pleased to make this happen. He was posted up in bed he had his clothes on and that but in bed because it was a nice quiet place and we had a good old chat and i really enjoyed it his new record we talk a lot about his new record what's going to happen with potential promotion tours we talk a bit about slipknot the differences in live show i mean you'll hear what we talk about you're going to listen to the podcast this is episode 348 of the distraction pieces podcast with Corey taylor Well, let's begin. Um, I'm here today with Corey Taylor. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I normally start these by asking how your your lockdown has been before we get to the latest project, but those two kind of come hand in hand in, yeah, in this basically. instance. So, yeah. so let's get straight into your releasing like your first solo record, essentially, and that's kind of come about because of lockdown, I guess. Well, yeah. Or the pandemic as such. Yeah, we definitely moved it up. I mean, originally we were going to go in in January, February of of 21. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything came to a screeching halt, obviously. And, uh, you know, it wasn't an immediate decision. It was something that after everything really went away. Because, you know, I don't know if you remember, there there was a few weeks where it was like everything was kind of touching, like touch and go. It's like okay, yeah. maybe we'll do something in the summer. Maybe we'll do this. And uh, I remember thinking it'd be maybe three, four weeks, and then yeah, we'll dude, start I to get like, back to normal. Like, it's like, oh, two months at the most, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, once it became very clear that everything was gonna, you know, kind of go the way of the dodo, basically, I just said, "Well, now what do I do?" You know. So luckily in a weird way, we had just done uh, a big demo session. I'd had everybody kind of fly in and out, like back when everything was ordinary, everything was normal, you know? So we were very prepared, you know? We had run through everything that we were going to go in and record that we eventually recorded in the studio, plus a bunch of stuff that will be on CMF2. So we were really, really well prepared Um, and I just, I, you know, I called my manager. I said, you know, this is what I'm thinking. Maybe we can kind of slide this in. 
and really try to take advantage of, of the time that we've got. And, you know, we, we laid out a, a safe, quick plan and, you know, the rest is history, basically. That's perfect, man. You And you recorded it, you, you're out in Vegas, right? So, you, you again, yeah. you've kind of got like, you can get a bit of, you're in a desert. <laughs> like, yeah. you can kind of isolate quite yeah. safely in that respect. If you can get the studio locked down right and everything on point, then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we did, Um, everybody quarantined for two weeks in their own yeah. house. And then they all drove here. Yeah. Um, which was rad, you know. Some, like, some of these guys came from Bend, Oregon. I mean, it wow. was ridiculous yeah i mean that's dedication homes you know yeah, was, man. <laughs> but at the same time we were all so stoked to do it i mean we were stoked before the pandemic we were yeah. really really like just like, giddy coming out of the the demo sessions and um you know so when it w- once everybody got here and then they all stayed with me you know we all kept to ourselves everybody we worked with at the studio social distanced and quarantined away from other people for two weeks beforehand yeah. Right. Jay, uh, my co-producer, he he did so as well. We did it smart, you know. We we didn't want to as stoked as we were. Obviously, we didn't want to put anyone in danger. We didn't want to put anyone, you know, at odds with w- what was being recommended by everybody. So of we course. did it smart. But then once once we got the groove going, man, it, it was it was pop pop pop. It was just ready to go. Yeah, and what a crazy situation because. To be clear as well, it's not a record that was written in this time. It's there's yeah. there's tracks on there, there's new tracks, but there's tracks that you wrote in your teens and stuff like yeah. that. So how was that? I mean, I guess in the demoing stage, like kind of deciding what you wanted to use, what was great nostalgia, what you wanted to go, man, I need to leave that in my teens. That is not that's <laughs> that, that's not coming out of it. How was that? I'll- I don't know, man. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty fearless sometimes when it comes to like what I'm like, I'm like, I don't care what anybody says. I'm putting this out, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, there's an issue of cohesion that kind of comes along with, to me anyway, of like doing an album. You want there to be fairly diverse feeling when you're listening to it, but there also, there should also be a linear vibe, you know? So for me, it wasn't so much a case of trying to, you know, fashion something relatable as much as it was, it was meant to be a a really great collection of songs, you know? So for me, it really kind of came down to what I was vibing on and people don't really know this about me, but I, I tend to really toil and worry at a song until I've really got it worked out in my head, you know, At, at least the meat and potatoes of it, you know, like, I, I allow my guys to to really expand and and you know really compound the music and and develop things artistically. But for the most part, the meat and the arrangement and what I'm hearing is exactly what I spend time developing in my head. So yeah. for me, a, a song like the one you, that you mentioned, Highway Six Six Six, which yeah. started out as a couple of verses in a notebook from tenth grade, you know, like. Yeah. It was, you know, and I completely forgot about them until I was at my grandma's house and I was kind of, you know, I found this old notebook from high school and I'm flipping through it and I saw it. And for some reason, my brain is so weird that I immediately remembered where I was and what was going on when I was writing that. And it was, you know, it was just a couple of stanzas and I can remember writing it down and feeling like it had a rhythm, but there was no real music 
in yeah. my head, you know? Yeah. So it was really kind of a blank page. And I, I remember reading it and really liking what that was. And I was like, you know, someday I should take that and I should finish it. So when the time came to really start putting the plans together for this, I was like, oh, this would be great to kind of take that and fashion this. Because it really kind of had a, a, a cool, like, hard rock country vibe to it, which yeah. then we developed musically. So then I, I just kind of took that and ran with it, you know? And, and I finished, uh, you know, I wrote the pre-chorus sort of chorus, wrote a third verse for it, and then, you know, wrote the meat of the music and then uh, played it for the guys. And, you know, the rest was history. So it felt like that was kind of setting the tone for looking for these songs that felt right in the moment, you know, yeah. not necessarily, you know, what would be good on an album, but what I was feeling for the album, you know? Yeah. And that's really just kind of how I led it. I, I love that. So, so how was it to kind of start to put things from such different eras and different moments all together. Like, as you said, it feels like a record. It's not just, here's a collection of some songs I've done. How was it to try and make them fit and make them work? Because you'll experience that in any long band anyway. Like when you're doing a live set, your fourth album, it doesn't sound that much like your first album. So you need to make them fit and see what works. But you're kind of doing that with songs that no one's heard before as as such. So how was that, putting them together and making that sound? It was actually kind of exciting, you know, because for me, it felt like starting over in a weird way, you know, like it felt like kind of going back to the beginning and embracing what I love about making music anyway, which is really kind of focusing on the song itself. So for me, it really kind of came down to I've got this batch of really like incredible songs. I want to come out of the gate with every knockout punch I can, you know, like it's basically, it's kind of goes back to the old adage. You have your whole life to write your first album, six months to write the second, you know, I guess anymore, you know, but for me, I really kind of took that to, to heart. I was just like, you know what? I want to make my mark right out of the gate. These, these are songs that, you know, some of these songs I've had for 20 years longer and some are as fresh as eight months ago, you know? But for some reason, I put these songs, these certain songs together, and it just felt like an incredible ride, you know? So that really kind of led me to focus on those first 13. Yeah. As as far as like the first album goes, it really came down to the songs and really wanting to just kind of come out and just blow everybody away right out of the gate and just run with it, you know? And these were the 13 that I decided on. I love that. You, I mean, you said finding those those first few stanzas or whatever in an old old notebook brought you back to that moment and where you were. Is that a theme across the record? Is it stuff that brings you to specific moments? I mean, the obvious one is is European tour bus bathroom song because that kind of <laughs> that that kind of tells you off the bat where <laughs> where that was. So. Yeah, there's, there's no hidden meanings in that one. It's, it's exactly <laughs> yeah. it's exactly what it you know it, it's it's like reading the directions and it's like well yeah this is exactly what this product gives you. So, but yeah, but all, I, mean, I mean, all joking aside though, that one did jump out because it felt like that kind of written on the road. Like we're trying to just make right. this energetic yeah, exactly. uh, and let's go with it type thing rather than I, a written in a studio or written thinking here's right. my album here's this it felt like that on yeah. the road let's fuck about kind of thing 
It's a little bit like that. Yeah. I mean, cause like, cause almost everything in this, uh, on this album was kind of written in the moment, you know, yeah. that song in particular was one that every time I'd walk into the bathroom on, on the tour bus in Europe, I would look at that and I would sing it to myself. I would, <laughs> I would do the whole, you know, the, it was just so stupid, you know, Amazing. and yet I could hear the music in my head i was like this would be a great place for like a breakdown and just so ridiculous i mean just you know sometimes my mind is such a minefield of weird that i just enjoy the idea of that type of song you know and it's one of those things that you almost threaten yourself to write it's like i dare you i dare you to write and record the european tour bus bathroom song and you're and you're saying to yourself and you're like all right, I'm not afraid of you, you know? So something like that is definitely one of those things where I added it because of the levity, um, yeah. because of the fun of it, and just because of the juxtaposition bet- between the music itself and then just the ridiculousness of what I'm saying and doing. You know, it was yeah. just so dumb. But it's one of my favorites on the album, you know? But then there's songs on this album that are still that are very contemplative you know mm. like there's songs like silverfish which deal with depression not only dealing with depression but those vulnerable moments at night when there's nothing to distract you from it there's nothing to keep your attention from it and you, you have to you know you have to kind of summon the the strength to kind of you know take deep breaths and and get through it man because that stuff can that stuff can keep you up and 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 keep you walking around your house and just trying to figure things out you know to make a night ridiculously yeah. long like very long nights can become far longer than the days in in those moments it's it's interesting because depression and mental health in general it's been an ongoing thread th- th- through this podcast it's not what the podcast is about right. but from talking to musicians and actors and comedians and all sorts of artists it comes up so often um and obviously it's a theme that Oh, it's, it's it's something that's affected your life from from very early on, right? So, very, how yeah. have you kind of learnt to adapt and and deal with that? Because you've had, yeah, depressions, suicide attempts, all this kind of really dark stuff. But number yeah. one, it's great to hear these things talked about in songs because I think that's where you can get these things across more and people can relate and have that connection yeah. and feel like there's more people going through this. But mm-hmm. yeah, I guess, how have you found that over your life? Cause you've had a lot of ups and downs and that can be where you find the, the toughest times, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I was, as I, honestly, I, I just came out of a depressive moment. Like my depression kind of comes like the physical depression comes in waves um, every few right. months and it's something that you just kind of have to ride out and you deal with it. I don't, I don't like taking medication because it, it doesn't make me feel like myself. Mm-hmm. So I've had to develop coping mechanisms and coping skills without the use of chemicals, you know, which, which is tough, you know, it's because once you take that away, obviously, and especially with an addictive personality, it becomes something that is just insane. It's a ride that you can't get off of sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I can remember talking to my wife and I was right in the middle of it, right in the middle of that, that period. And I just went, I was like, there are just times where I just don't know how to control it. I don't know what to do, you know? And it's, it's a deadening, you yeah. know, it, it's almost like 
It's like it's like being wrapped in a wet fire blanket and then just kind of left on your own, you know, and trying to describe that to someone a who has no empathy for it is excruciating because they just kind of look at you and shake your head. It's almost like trying to, you know, explain, you know, seeing a ghost, you know, people either people either understand or they don't. And thankfully my wife does, you know, my, my wife has seen me go through a lot, you know, so that kind of understanding and that kind of uh, support helps, but you're absolutely right. Talking about it is one of the best forms of coping with it. You know, I mean, I go to therapy. Um, well, I, I can when I'm, you know, and in, in, when I'm not in quarantine or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. I write about it, obviously. And I'm obviously I have a few more tools than some people do. You know, I've been lucky enough that I can express myself, but at the same time, I, I like the fact that I can write and have people relate to it and take the stigma off of it. And that's been tremendous. You know, the, the feedback that I've gotten about, you know, being able to talk to people about that, this stuff and, and really help them kind of see it from that perspective has, is, it's, it's helped me with mine as well, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's tough, man. It's one of those things that just, it's, it's like sobriety. There's no end to that. It's just yeah. something that you deal with. It's something that you accept and it's a part of your life, you know, yeah. and you just kind of get on with it. Yeah. Do you think that moving this record forward has helped all of that in, in lockdown? Because, again, I think there's been a lot of people who are quarantined or whatever else where the normal things that you'd have to distract yourself from your mind or your darker thoughts or those moments aren't right. there. And, and right. I mean, we spoke about how long nights can be when you get in that hole. If the day becomes the night and the night becomes the day, then right. fuck, like, where's the yeah. escape? Yeah, exactly. Which good question. I don't know, to be honest. I mean, all I all I know is how how I deal with it. The world is such a weird place right now anyway. Yeah. You know, like the the temperament of the world is incredibly incendiary. And yeah. all it takes, I mean, to be honest, and I was talking about this the other day. It reminds me a lot of, and obviously I wasn't alive, but it reminds me of 68 in a weird way where everything was burning. Yeah. I mean, everything was just insane. You know, we, there was still the war in Vietnam, especially in my country. Yeah. The civil rights movement had kind of hit the pinnacle. And then there were these tremendously tragic assassinations with King and Kennedy. And then the world exploded and it just started attacking as it started eating itself, you know, and that was 52 years ago. And it, and you'd think we would have learned from that. And yet we haven't. So you have that background combined with the fact that we are all completely isolated. We're all stuck in these bubbles, these social bubbles. And then you add social media to that. And the yeah. fact that no one polices misinformation, no one polices the content that you're reading, everyone is just encouraged to excoriate and just regurgitate this awful shit. Yeah. 
it's a tough time right now. It's there's a lot. There's a it's a tough time to find anything positive. Let's put it yeah. that way. And I hate to I hate to laugh, but it's so true. I mean, in this day and age, man, it's like I know people who live for the drama, yeah, and I know people who are just ex- absolutely exhausted by it, and they're just tired of it. They just yeah. don't want it anymore. And they're both right, you know, because it's just. I mean, that's what life is now. So I don't know. It, it, to, it, and then you then you kind of put yourself in that 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 middle ground sometimes, um, and you find yourself kind of arguing both points, no matter what those points are, and it becomes it, it, it it's a slippery slope that can trigger your depression and can trigger that kind of self immolating kind of from a obviously from an emotional standpoint, yeah, not like yeah, a physical yeah, yeah. standpoint, but yeah, I mean it's it's tricky, man. You know, like in I just wish there were louder voices trying to keep everyone calm. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, completely. It's 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 the tough bit. There's so there's such loud voices on either side doing the exact opposite, oh. and no yeah. one can hear the calm and rational ones in the middle, kind of going, "Look, right. yes, there's this is fucked up, but here's how we do this, and so on and so forth." Right. I mean, in in these these weird times, what do you turn to? As distractions and stuff. I mean, the the album has got a, one of the coolest looking wrestling belts I've ever seen, and and I'm a wrestling fan. And I saw you you pop up and punch Baron Corbin in the face on NXT oh, yeah. a, a, a while back. So wrestling is is one of my kind of escapes in these increasingly mad times. Right. What do you go to? Have you got sports? Have you got films? Have you got specific things that you switch off with? Yeah, I mean, I I've been going back, and obviously I've been distracted by about a bunch of press yeah, lately. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's you know, I'm actually watching uh, some stuff with my wife that I'd never watched before, and I'm about to make an insane declaration and oh, and and uh, admit that I am very, very, very late to the Breaking Bad game. I'd never watched it. I had people recommend it to me over the years. And I'm one of those jerks that if something's like hot, hot, I'm like, I feel you. You know, yeah. I don't want to hear about it. You know, yeah. it's like, well, I'll yeah, come to it in my own time. <laughs> exactly. And I'm also not a joiner, to yeah. be honest. Like, I've never been a huge, I don't like groups. I don't yeah. like movements and any of that crap. So my wife was just on me. She's like, she's like, you've never seen Breaking Bad. I'm like, no. I was like, I don't give a shit about that, you know? Yeah. And she sat me, she made me sit down and watch the first episode. And I looked at her and I just went, God damn it, this is really, really good. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and now I'm like binging the entire series, man. It's it's crazy. I love it. I love it. Um Another tr- tr- track I wanted to talk about. I mean, you spoke then about wanting to come out hitting hard, and, and one of the 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 first things we heard was CMFT must be stopped. Um, yeah. It's got Tech Nine on it, who I think, as I I used to rap, I now do acting and all sorts of other stuff. But as a rapper, Tech Nine was someone I would study because his right. delivery and technique is just next level he's like a metronome on these beats how did that come about because i remember hearing that you were going to be on his record a while back and that didn't happen so what was the kind of oh you're on it the 
Yeah, there yeah, was a was delay with it, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Special yeah. effects. Uh, it was a song called Wither. Yeah. And uh, he and I, you know, we've been friends for a, a few years, man. Like, it was cool. He started out as a fan. Right. Slipknot. Yeah. He's yeah, an yeah, old yeah. school maggot, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, we met through like common circles. Like, he would, he knew Sid, obviously, like, like early on. He was, they, they were yeah. really tight. And then, I got to I got to meet him and he and I really hit it off because of writing and because yeah. of the way we approach lyrics and you know bars and and stuff like that because I have a very hip hop way of of writing stuff especially with Slipknot. Yeah. I look at the rhythm and and I try to find the least I guess the 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 least common ground I guess the 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 path of that doesn't feel familiar. That's the way I like to go, you know, and and then and, and I like to throw in the heat ex- like exactly when you don't expect it, and he's exactly like that too. Like he and he's so gifted that it's yeah. just ridiculous. Um, he's also one of the smartest cats on the planet. So not only getting him, but also getting Kid Bookie from is, from South London. London. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Just up the road from where I am and, and and where I grew up kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah how how yeah. did he come about? How did he end up collaborating? He he came about because he hit, he uh, honestly hit me up on Twitter and was just like, what does it take to get you on a track? I was like, what do you got? And it was literally just that quick. He sent love me some it. stuff. And uh, the cool thing that I really liked about this is he didn't have anything specific for me. He sent yeah. me four tracks, dude. He sent me four songs. It's like he's like, check all these out, you know. And I just yeah. went, oh, shit. All right, let's let's see what's up. And the one that really stuck out to me was, I, I guess he was going coming back to stuck in my ways, you know, yeah. and re- kind of working on a newer version of that. And that was the one I loved the the slowness, yeah. the the syrup of it, really, you know, like yeah. it just had this had this lilting groove to it that I I don't think I'd ever really done before, you know, and, and that's what attracted me. I, I'm always attracted to stuff that I've never done before. And yeah. uh, that felt so good. And then being able to kind of throw down on it was fun, you know? So then he and I have stayed close and stayed, you know, stayed tight. And when it came time to do CMFT, it really, because to me, CMFT is, uh, the song anyway, is a throwback. It's not new metal. It's rap rock. Yeah. It's early 80s Def Jam rap rock to me, yeah. you know? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It has, you know, that Rick Rubin kind of run DMC, King of Rock vibe. Um, it also has Anthrax on the Man, uh, yeah. you know, which which is really the forgotten gem that people really don't talk about, you know? Yeah. And, um, so, and those, I mean, those songs, those, those, you know, that had huge influence on me. Yeah. So I knew that I wanted to do something that kind of had that old school feel, and yet I wanted it to have I wanted it to have a modern connotation to it. And yeah. those two dudes, those two dudes, for real, inspire me to be better at what I do, and that's why I wanted them specifically to be on that track. I love that. So, so how do you, how did you decide which tracks are solo tracks and which tracks are for the other? bands kind of thing because because that was the track that felt like closest to fit in a slipknot type feel because again slipknot always have that had that um 
yeah, that kind of that hip hop influence, like the breaks influence as well as right, as the intensity right. and the and the energy. So, what was where was it when you're writing? How do you go right? That goes in the in the Slipknot box, and that goes yeah, in the, right. the Stone Sour box. This is the solo well, box. I tell you what, I, luckily the bands kind of make that decision for me. I bring, I bring a ton of stuff in and uh, some of it works, some of it doesn't, you know? And then there's stuff that I write that I know won't fit with either band, you know? So I just kind of stick it on. It used to be the what if pile, you know, what if I record that, where would it go, you know, and stick kind of stuff. And now it's just the solo pile, you know, which is a big ass pile that it's, it's a good problem to have. Let's put it that way. Like, if I never wrote anything again, I still have enough material for three or four more albums. I love that. Like that's it. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but at the same time, it's like, that's how into songwriting I am. Like I've never, I've never looked at myself as a great singer. I've never looked at myself as a great anything. I've always really concentrated on songwriting. That's yeah. always been my, my greatest pride is just writing the songs, you know? So anytime a song, no matter whether I just wrote the lyrics or just wrote the music or did this or that, whatever I've contributed, when those songs get, you know, any kind of type of, of you know, notoriety or acclaim, that's what I'm most proud of, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I've, I've won Best Vocalist Awards and stuff and icons and, and th- that's all well and good. But the, the to me honing my craft and really being able to to write a song and not just rely on my name to pass a track on yeah you know what a lot of people do that's what's most important that's what's kept me going yeah well, I, well we we spoke about um when speaking on depression and stuff like that the 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 sense of unity that can be found in that right when slipknot blew up there was a massive sense of unity in, in the following, in, in the community, in, yeah. cause you guys kind of, you fitted in a few areas, but also kind of sat on your own. Um, and I remember right. I, I, when I was 18, I tried to I tra- I tra- I travel around America on my own, not realizing that the, the age limit to get into bars and clubs is older in America than it is over here. So right. pretty quickly I found myself quite alone and bored, but <laughs> I saw that you guys were playing and this was like 99 or 2000. So it was, it was only okay, a little so while after the first record. Um, and I went and saw you guys with head PE and support who I was a big fan of at the time as well. Um, right. And that community was such a savior on that trip. If you know what I mean, because of feeling I can't get into clubs, I can't right. get into clubs, hard to meet people right. to walk in a room that even if I'm not buddying up with everyone, it feels like I'm with my people. Um, right. So how was that to, to blow up, kind of it felt almost out of nowhere and suddenly have this loyal community and and following around you the the cool thing about that is that it felt there was a reflection there of why we you know why that band was started and why that band was what it was to begin with Mm. you know like we all were collectively just in these other bands in des moines and we just kept waiting because we were fans of, of music and we were fans of genres and whatnot. We kept waiting for a band to do what we wanted to do. Yeah. And because no band was really doing it, we decided to just kind of do it ourselves. 
yeah. you know? And that was kind of reflected in the tribes that we ended up kind of bringing together in a yeah. weird way. They yeah, were yeah. waiting for either their favorite bands or a band to come around to kind of do what they were waiting to see. And when we came along, we filled that gap, you know? It's yeah. one of the reasons why, like you said, we've never fit yeah. in a genre or movement. Everyone always tries to put us with new metal, and it's just not the case. Like we have, no. we have elements of hip hop, but we also have elements of hardcore. Yeah, so completely. It, we fit to me, and it's only because of the time frame that we're talking about. We yeah. were right at the end, right at the tail end of new metal, right at the beginning of the new wave of American heavy metal. Yeah. So we kind of fit that slot, which is also one of the reasons why we are really kind of our own genre. Yeah. We all, we do what we want. We never have had to follow anything. And that's, what's been the most, I guess, liberating yeah. musically, you know, yeah. it's we've called our own shots and we always have, you know, I mean, and the audience has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger because of that. Yeah. So how was it to get, out on the road when things started to, to take off and, and, you know, continuing on over the years. Cause again, uh, when I did my first tour of America right. doing music, we, uh, one of our shows was in Ames, Iowa. And I was blown away by the fact that there was this place I'd never heard of, but there were people there who'd heard right. of me. That, right. that blew my mind. And it wasn't the biggest gig on the tour. There weren't loads of people there, but it meant almost as more than, the LA gig and the New York gig that were rammed right. and exciting. Cause it's like, man, I didn't know this place existed and we got there and it was like, there wasn't a lot going on. So right. coming from somewhere that was kind of out in the, the sticks a bit to then go, right, we're now global and we're going to be singing in bathrooms in on European tours and, and, <laughs> and, and things like that to, to get into all those places. How was that? And how did you keep a lid on it all? If you know what I mean, because again, when those things blow up, it's easy to go. Right. Oh shit! I mean, are we going? Honest, I don't really know if we did. Yeah. You know, I mean, we and and the thing is, and here's the goddamn tragedy of Slipknot, and maybe not even a lot of people realize this, but when we first started, we were so committed to being the antithesis of everything that the music industry was. Yeah. We wanted to be the absolute, absolute opposite. You know, so we really shunned alcohol and drugs for like probably the first six months, eight months, almost a year of our just being on it and being yeah. going, you know, uh, because we wanted to be focused. We wanted to keep that hunger. We wanted to do things our way. We didn't want to, we didn't want to feel like the cliche, you know what I'm saying? We didn't want to be the behind the music, you know, obviously history, you know, we fell into those traps later on, but for the for the first blast, man, we were just completely committed to it. So really, we were kind of working with our head down. Yeah. Just charging forward. Get the work done. Get it. Get out there. Crush every show. Sleep. Repeat. You know, almost that working class vibe. Yeah. Because that's where we came from. You know, we were yeah. all middle-class kids, um, some of us lower middle-class, you know, obviously some of us growing up with nothing, but that lent to us being on the road and living off nothing, you know? Yeah. I mean, we didn't have any money, you know, we were living off 
at 20 bucks a week and a, a fistful of goldfish crackers. Yeah. I mean, we were fucking hungry, dude. Yeah. We were nuts, you know? Yeah. And it was also the most enjoyment we got out of it because we were together. You know, it was, yeah. it was the most connected we were ever as a band. You feel like you're earning it as well. Like like, like when you're having to suffer a bit, you feel like you're going, no, we, this is how much we give a shit. This is what we're doing. Not only that, but bands hated us. Right. Like, like now it's very, very, you know, it's, it's, it's cool for people to come back and say, Oh, I was into Slipknot from the beginning. That's the reason we had to start headlining shows is because bands wouldn't take us out. Yeah. After I mean, for real, we yeah. submitted for about six different tours after the Coal Chamber tour, and yeah. nobody wanted to go on after us. And right. we were just like, okay, I guess here we go, you know. So, but that wasn't really the 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 moment that really kind of made us feel like something was happening. I, I, I at least for me, that moment was the Astoria, right. That moment, and I and I was just talking about this the other day. Walking, I mean, first of all, it was our first show in a completely different place. You know, yeah. I had been to England, but I don't know if anybody else in the band had been there. You know, yeah. like so, I I was a little familiar with it. I've never played there. You know, I mean, the furthest we had played was Canada. Yeah. You know, so this was so we had no idea the buzz that was going on around us. Yeah. We had no idea of the energy. I can remember pulling up and you remember how the, 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 the line would just be around the block for the big shows, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And we pulled up and we were like, what's that show? <laughs> I had no idea. You know, it was like, yeah. who's, like, who's playing there? Like, are we going against? And they were like, dude, that's your line. And we went, I mean, we were blown away, dude. Amazing. And stepping on this to this day, it's one of the, one of the things I miss the most about that place, even though it was a, fucking shithole and i it was off the smell was horrible yeah i look at it and i go at least we still have brixton you know i mean at least we still have (laughs) because it's the only thing that even comes close to what it was like at the astoria because there was always that there was that one stairwell that just reeked of garbage and they would just throw the fucking garbage down there. Yeah. So that was usually the door that you would try to go through to get away from the, from the the fans. Yeah. And you would just be salted by this disgusting (laughs) smell. You're like, Oh yeah. But I can remember they rushed us in. We went all the way to the top um, where the, where the dressing rooms were. That was our first taste of uh, European stairwells as well. Right. I mean, just, you know, I don't know what you guys got against fucking elevators and, you know, that goddamn yeah. place, but anyway. At venues, at venues, when it's just a loading oh. up several flights of stairs. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Punishing, punishing <laughs> crews, dude. <laughs> anyway, long story short, the intro's rolling. We do our huddle and we walk out and we are fucking assaulted by the, this sound. And I mean, it was palpable, dude. I mean, it was unlike anything I'd ever felt before. And it was fucking crazy because it was in a place none of us really ever felt we were going to get to, you know? And that was like, that was the first time I really felt like we, like something's happening. Yeah. You know, there were a handful of touchstones after that, but that was like the very first, like, 
boom. It's when you're not expecting it as well. And 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 it's yeah. not necessarily like goosebumps, like hearing you tell that, because it makes me, I had one in, in Belfast that was similar. And again, it was one of them where we're like, this isn't even the biggest venue we've ever played, right. anything like that. Right. And we walked on stage and literally I had to get a signal to our monitor guy as soon as possible to go, you're going to have to turn everything up because yeah, all shit, I can hear right? is these guys, these, right. these guys are everything right now. And it's, it's you're, yeah. you're playing, you're playing by Braille. It's yeah. all feel like you just no idea what's going on. So, so have, have you got plans to do live stuff when it allows with your solo material? Cause oh, absolutely. It's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's a completely different feel. Is that exciting or scary? I mean, number one, you won't have to wear a, a mask. And incidentally, you guys caused one of my favourite memes in this whole pandemic when it was it basically said, if Slipknot can wear masks for a two-hour show in the, in the heat... You can wear it for you 10, can wear it for ten, ten minutes in the shop. Yeah. yeah, it's perfect. And I've been but, re- I've been repeating that. I've yeah. been telling people, I was like, you guys need to put down your purses and figure it the fuck out. Yeah, this is real. This is this is adult shit. Yeah, pull your head yeah. out of your fucking ass and figure it out. And and but, but I mean, it, it now makes me ask: Have you put on a Slipknot mask to go to, into the shops for the pandemic? Have you used that as your pandemic mask at all? No, that'd be a nice I surprise like for I people, need, right? I, <laughs> I feel like they'd think I was a fucking serial killer, dude. Like if I <laughs> yeah. if I did that, like for yeah, real. that's fair. It's bad enough, like just walking in and they see this, you know, they see the sleeves and yeah, you know, the, you know usually got the hat and the sunglasses on. They already think it's like, well, yeah, he's he's guarding against COVID, but he could still rob us. Yeah, you know? like I, I, I get that all the fucking time. Yeah, but to circle back, yeah, yeah, we're absolutely gonna. I mean, that the plan is, well, the plan is we're going to do some kind of twos and fuse and stuff, uh, some virtual stuff uh, we're talking about doing, um, yeah. maybe do some social distancing shows like in the States and whatnot. Next year, once everything kind of goes back to normal, that's, it's, at least that's what I'm betting, uh, we're going to finish up the Slipknot tour cycle. Yeah. Uh, wrap that up, put a bow on that, put a period on that sentence. Then I'm going to go in, record CMF2, and then we're going to tour the world on two solo albums, not just right. one. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. that's what – I don't know if I'm afraid of anything, dude, to be honest. Like, if I was, I don't think I'd have done half the shit that I do. You know, everybody asks me, is like, are you nervous? I'm like, no. Why would I be, you know? Yeah. The thing is, is like, I'm not concerned about what anybody says about my music. I never yeah. have been. It's like you either dig it or you don't. You're going to fucking, I don't live and breathe on the acceptance of the shit. If I'm happy with the music, that's why I share it. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I'm not making music for these motherfuckers. I'm making it for me. I just happen to share it, you know? It's thing you, you benefit in a way f- from what you were saying earlier then, that there was such resistance when you guys came up and no one wanted you to open for, or no one wanted yeah. to follow you and stuff like that. And then you had that success. It gives you that resolve, right. right? You've done it before where people are going, no, we don't want you. And you're like, just listen, exactly. you wait and see. That must give you the confidence to go, I don't care what you say. This is, I'm going to go out and show you what we can do. Yeah. I mean, everybody always gives approval in retrospect anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, a perfect example of that is like all of these these movies that are considered masterpieces that fucking bombed yeah, at the yeah, center. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. because when you're dealing in the short term, it's all money. 
That's all it is. Short term is all money and that's it. Long term is impact. That's the reason why I've never been concerned about making money. My whole concern about my career is longevity, is sticking around, being able to do this for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, knock on wood, you know, that's, that's my goal. I don't give a fuck. You know, I can get fucking work at the post office. Yeah. I'm not concerned about that. I can get money taking fucking balls and cans back yeah. and cashing the shit in for nickels and dimes. I mean, you might have to this focus on the bottles important. and cans if Trump gets rid of the post office at the moment. But well, but you're yeah. not you're not wrong there. I mean, that's I mean, if that's not a signal to Republicans that he is out of his fucking mind, yeah, I keep waiting for people to see some of this, and some of them are. It's his his support has definitely eroded yeah. on the sides. It's really only the people who vehemently just vote Republican no matter what, yeah. and his cult that yeah. really truly support him. It's it's, it's um, like it's watching a controlling relationship from the outside that you can yeah. see that their partner isn't letting them do anything, and it, they shouldn't, but they can't see. It's like he's literally telling yeah. you you can't go to the post office now, and you're going, well, you know. He's, he's, it's for the best. He's the guy. It's crazy. The problem, the problem is, is that nobody's really called him on what he's doing. Is yeah. his whole, if you look back his whole career, whether it was football team owner in the XFL or not the XFL, but the, uh, the USFL yeah. or real estate or reality television or whatever, his whole career is based on chaos and drama. Yeah. That's it. You yeah. Know? He's not, he's not nearly as savvy as everybody purports him to be. He doesn't do any of the things that he says he does. He's a fucking liar who just creates controversy. And that's yeah. it. And that's how, he, that's how he leads, quote, yeah. unquote. That's how he leads is by controversy. And that's why he has to go, you know, even if that's not the quick fix that people think it's going to be, because it's not going to be. There's going to be it's going to take years to fix some of the shit that he's done. Yeah. But just him being kicked out of office is going to have a calming effect because it has to. Yeah. You know, it's that calming voice that you spoke of earlier that hasn't been there. It's because you've got someone who's tweeting in all caps and shouting. Exactly. Anyone like he is, his whole thing is disruption and lies. Yeah. And that's, that's really that, that's really the 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 biggest the, the biggest concern is the yeah. fact that so many people now are so used to just picking up and spreading lies that yeah. nobody knows what is real anymore and that's how he rules that's how he's able to get away with the shit because he's created so much chaos no one can concentrate on which lie is which yeah well we can't end on trump so so yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, before we go out um what can people expect from a CMFT two? Again, it's exciting to hear that the plan is to go straight into another record. You said yeah, you yeah. wanted to go all out and hit them hard out the box with this one. What's the follow up punch looking like? What kind of vibe are you going for? And what's the? Are there any collaborations? Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, there were a handful of people who I wanted to be on this first album that I didn't get to to do obviously because of the quarantine yeah. and everybody was kind of pulled all over the place. And there's certain 
you know, there's certain collaborations where you want that person in the room, you know, where you, you know, you throw in, especially because we, we record everything live with CMF two. There's a, there's a darker edge to it. It's, I don't want to say it's heavier, but it's a, it's a little more, it's, it's darker. It's more serious, but there are songs that have that, the, the vibe of the first album, you know, but it's almost like the, it's almost, to me, it's the difference between, you know, episode four and empire. Yeah. You know, know, and it's to me, so that's the way I've kind of been describing it, you know? Um, And it's, it's really cool too. Like there's some really good stuff that I've got written for the, the next album that I think people are really going to like check out and we're going to, we're going to record it the same way. And if we, if we do, it'll be one of the coolest fucking things that anybody's attempted to record in a long time, you know, that hasn't Amazing. been stacked like dinner plates in a fucking pro tool session. You know, yeah. yeah, we can do it and really pull it off. I love it. That's exciting to hear. Well, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much for your time, man. It's been a pleasure. It's no flown worry, by. Man. Oh dude. No, this was great. I appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of it. Have a good one. All right. You too, man. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Corey Taylor. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to keep this outro brief. I will be back next week. As said, if this was your first time listening, delve into the archives. There's some good stuff on there. And and, and check out Corey's new record. We talked about it. It, it, it loads. You've got plenty of information there. I'll see you all next week. Ta-ta.